Hello and welcome back everybody to another episode of the Back Lounge Podcast. My name is Tank, I'm your host, and I'm a tour manager and guitar tech with over 16 years of experience in the touring music industry. And for today's episode, which is episode 24, we have a insanely special guest. I honestly can't believe that I actually got to do this episode. Today we're welcoming in Rob Arnold, who is a very well-known guitarist, producer, and audio engineer, most known as being the longtime guitarist for Chimera. Now, this is, again, one of those episodes that for me kind of blew my mind because, you know, when I started doing all this content online, I've always been into music and I've been in the music industry, but the the fact that I've gotten the opportunity to sit down with some of these artists who I consider legends that I looked up to when I was a teenager and stuff, it's wild, man. And Rob is one of those artists. If anybody's not familiar with Rob's band, Chimera, or old band rather, Chimera was originally formed in Cleveland, Ohio in 1998. And they were, to me, one of the most important bands of the new wave of American heavy metal around the turn of the century and in, in the early 2000s. Their first studio album, Pass Out of Existence, came out in 2001 and immediately grabbed my attention and a lot of other people as well. And then their next album in 2003, The Impossibility of Reason, was an absolute breakthrough success for these guys. It is considered one of the best albums in that new wave of American heavy metal and still is an absolute classic today. And over the years, they went on to release seven different studio albums. But towards the end, they did have a lot of member changes. Rob ended up leaving the band after their sixth studio album in 2011, which led to their final studio album in 2013 being pretty much done by their only original member left, their vocalist, Mark Hunter. Now, since then, they've done a handful of reunion shows and all the members of the band have been up to different things. And especially Rob, he has been producing and doing audio engineering for a lot of different stuff and has started his own content creation as well. If you're not familiar, you can check out Rob Arnold World on YouTube and also his website, which is robarnoldworld.com. Absolutely fantastic for somebody like me that loves gear because he goes into in-depth videos and talks about the gear that he likes and uses. And he also talks about, you know, audio engineering and a lot of other stuff. And it's really cool, man. Now, a couple days from when this podcast is releasing, Chimera is doing another one of their reunion shows with pretty much the original lineup of the band. Um, it's their first show in, I think it's seven years. 2017 was the last time that they had done a show together. So six years now that I'm doing the math in my head, but they're doing two shows at the Agora ballroom in Cleveland, Ohio on May 12th and May 13th. As far as I know, as of now, both of those shows are sold out, but if you're in that area and you want to check it out, I'm sure there might be some resales available or something like that. If I had the opportunity, I would go to these shows in a second, man. Chimera has been one of my favorite metal bands forever, and it would just be so cool to actually see them again because it's been years since I've seen them in concert. But let's get on with this one, man. I was super excited to do this. I can't wait to bring you guys this one. Again, you can go to robarnoldworld.com after you listen to this to check out more from Rob. Follow him on YouTube. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, I'll have links to all of his stuff in the description of this video. And I guess that's a good time to mention that this isn't just available wherever you're listening right now. We've got the video version available on YouTube, which you can go to youtube.com slash tank the tech. And then all of the audio versions are available on Spotify, 
Apple, Google, pretty much everywhere you can listen to podcasts. So however you want to listen to this, it's your choice. It is available, but let's get on with this one. Kicking off episode 24 of the Back Lounge Podcast. Welcome today's special guest, Rob Arnold. How are What's you, up, man? What's up, Tank? I'm doing good. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. It's it's funny that you say that because like, you know, a lot of these podcasts in the music industry are set up by PR people. And I think this is so funny that like, I, I just emailed you and was like, would you be interested? And I'm pretty sure you probably had no fucking idea who I was. And you're like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Well, it's, it's different times. And yeah, I mean, I looked into your stuff. I saw you're doing cool stuff. So I'm uh, happy to come on and appreciate the opportunity to, to talk music. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm kind of containing myself a little bit because there have been a handful of episodes of this podcast so far where I've had on guests that I would have never expected that like teenage me as a metalhead would have lost their absolute shit over. And it's wild to me that you're on here right now, to be <laughs> honest. And I, I know, you know, being in the music industry that, you know, that stardom kind of fades when you're in the industry, you don't get really starstruck anymore and stuff. But I'm like, this, this is a pretty cool moment to have you on here because I don't know if you're aware nowadays, like how big of an impact you and in Chimera had on a lot of teenage metalheads back in the day, man, like, like borderline obsessive me and my group of friends in high school. So like, this is very cool. So thank you. Hey, well, I appreciate that wholeheartedly, and I'm honored to hear it. It's, you know, I feel in the same position where you say, you know, you're, you're, it's cool and you can't believe it's happening and stuff. At the same time, it's the same for me, too, because I was just uh, a metalhead kid, you know, that, that got lucky, you know. I got lucky that I found, you know, came into the group of guys that I came into with Kamira and we had the chemistry we had and that all these years, years later, people still love the songs and the riffs and, you know, people want to talk about them all these years later. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're still relevant and they had an impact on people. And, you know, my my love for Metallica and Megadeth and all that back in the day, the fact that people like have that about music for me now is is, is still shocking and I'll, I'll never take it for granted. It's cool. It's like you're you're just sealed in metal history, dude. And that's what's so <laughs> rad. Like, that's you know, badass. Some of my friends from back home, like I grew up in Chicago, um, yeah, similar ish to Cleveland in a sense. It's the same totally. kind of cultural vibes and stuff. I live in Nashville now, but, you know, the metal scene where I grew up, like we were I grew up in a very small town outside of Chicago where it was like a lot of country fans. Like we grew up out, out in the farms and stuff. But me and a handful of my friends were like the metalheads that, you know, when the early 2000s rolled around and we had that new wave of American heavy metal and all this stuff coming out like that was our big escape. And actually funny enough, I prepared this and I forgot about it until now. We have actually met before. I wondered if we'd cross paths, whether, you know, in so some sense. There's no way you'll remember this. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's like, because when you're on tour, you just meet so many people, but I actually have this picture queued up and I'm going to pull it up in a second. Okay. Um, 2005. So 18 years ago, <laughs> Um, I was in college and a group of my friends that we hadn't seen each other in a while. You guys were on tour at the time with uh, behemoth and you guys came through the Chicago area and we're like, we're going to this gig. And it was, um, it was right when self-titled, uh, had came out. So I, Tally was drumming probably blackest of the black tour. <laughs> yes, that was it. Dan yeah, yeah, Danzig yeah. maybe. No, no, Did, it was just, no, no. I think it was a one-off. It was you guys behemoth and a, a local opener. Okay. So. After the show, knowing what I know now about the music industry and touring and etiquette, I would have never done this. But after the show, one of my friends is like, bro, let's just go sneak backstage and see if we can meet some of the guys. 
and we we went around the venue and jumped a fence and we're just hanging out and you and Tally were outside after the show and stuff. And I'm going to for anybody that's watching on YouTube, I'm going to throw this picture up real quick. That is <laughs> me on the far left. And then obviously, you know, our friends and stuff like that. But that to me is so funny that back then in 2005, you know, me just being a fan and sneaking backstage and stuff like that. It's like, you know, we were that close to each other. and Now we're here talking and it's just it's it's full circle. This whole with the way technology has gone with the music industry and social media and all this stuff. Everything is just so full circle now. It's nuts. Totally. So that's awesome. Yeah. So on that topic, I'm really curious your take, because, you know, when uh chimera started blowing up like i first saw you guys in like farm club back in the day and that's when i you became a fan cool and and then that area that era between 2001 and 2005 was just so big for you guys mm-hmm. but so much has changed like what 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 is your take on like how touring in, in the music industry was back then versus now because this was like pre-social media back then barely any at all and like cell phones weren't as technologically advanced as they are now. Like what's your take on how, how much everything's changed? It's like, do you have a different approach on the music industry in general now? Well, because I'm not no longer in the touring game, I can't speak specifically on that, but it seems like the the, the biggest convenience that I think all the time is Uber. If Uber would have existed back in, in the days that we were touring, it would have made just getting around so much easier. Because we were a band that uh, a lot of us for many years, we tried to go to the gym every day, whether it was to stay in shape or just to be able to take a shower. Sometimes I would do that. Like, yeah. you know, if there was no shower at the venue, I'd just go with the guys to the gym just to be able to shower, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? So, um, but dude, to be like, you know, however many of us, four to six of us, trying to call a cab company somewhere in, you know, Tallahassee or whatever, you know, or, you know, just, but now with Uber, I mean, man, just getting around would have been so, so great having stuff delivered that you need, you know, no need for runners as much anymore, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of being able to promote yourself and just share what happened that night with your fans, you know, via pictures and stuff on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, I think, I think that's really cool. Um, just everybody's so much closer to, to what's going on. But on the other side of it, it seems kind of like this, uh, I don't know, double-edged sword or bittersweet situation from what I hear that shows are doing incredibly well. People seem to still be starved from the pandemic. And so it seems like what you see, you know, when you're watching videos on Blabbermouth or something like that, that everybody's shows are all jam-packed. But the other side of that is that you hear touring is so much more expensive now due to let's just call it fallout from the pandemic, you know, just that disruption in, in, in everything is, you know, uh, I just saw, what I just see yesterday, some band, maybe you saw it, you'd know, but some band just said that um, just their trucking and busing alone is a million dollars more expensive than it was pre-pandemic. Yeah. I mean, if it's a you, big tour, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So that that's just incredible. Uh, the, the cost of it. So, Big bands will survive. What that all that all that really does is just squeeze out the smaller bands, you know, mm-hmm. just making it so much more difficult. Uh, and you know, even on that level too, vans are more expensive to rent, just the cost of fuel, everything like that. And then I hear there's also scarcity in terms of that being able to get yourself a van or even book a bus, uh, things like that. But anyways, people are are already or will figure out a way to navigate that and make the best of it. And uh, as always, the, the cream will rise at the top. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy what you said about the scarcity. Like 
I'm uh, uh, prepping a tour. I'll be tour managing a, uh, a German band coming over this summer. And pre-pandemic, finding a bus, it would have taken two phone calls. Mm-hmm. Like, because everybody had stuff available. It took about 30 different phone calls and emails to find a company that actually had something. Because wow. it's... And it's crazy. It's not that anybody's down any buses, like all the major bus companies still have their full fleets and everything. It's just everybody post pandemic has come out of the gates all at once and nothing's available. And unfortunately, there are companies taking advantage of that because for this tour, I got three different bus estimates that all ranged between like, I don't know, like $50,000 a bus to $100,000 a bus for a four week tour. Mm. And there are situations where I've come into too, where I've been quoted on things that we want to rent for the tour. And immediately I'm just like, this is basically extortion. I mean, yeah. I, un- I understand the supply and demand and stuff, but I'm like, this is, there's no way that bands are going to pay this amount of stuff. And it's like, realistically, there's no way that some bands can afford that. Even bandwagons right now, that is like the go-to for lower and mid-level touring bands. They're like ten to fifteen thousand dollars more expensive for a tour than they used to be. It's I was wondering about that. The bandwagon. What is? Do you happen to know what's the day rate on a bandwagon? Nowadays? The day rate. The last time I looked, I won't. I won't look right now, but it's probably about the same because I looked about a week ago. Um, the the nine bunk one, I believe, was about seven fifty a day. Mm-hmm. But then what you got to you know what bands need to think about. Uh, after that is, you know, fuel right now, yeah. diesel, we're, we're averaging tour planning on like 450 a gallon for diesel. And that could go up during the summer. And then bandwagon doesn't provide drivers like bus right. companies do. So you have to find a driver. It, like there's so much expense into that where it's so expensive to do a bandwagon right now that it's almost like, all right, if you're going to do a bandwagon, you might as well spend four grand more and just get a bus. Yeah. Cause it's going to be the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, b- the bandwagon's yeah, for for those that don't know, bandwagons are kind of just like a mini bus, like a like it's like your own RV, but they're more outfit for for bands. They actually have bunks. There's a shower in there, all that. But yeah, you need your own driver, so you think, oh, that's cool. We'll get a buddy to do it or whatever. But that has its own problems in itself, you know, because then that guy, even if he comes onto the tour saying, "I'm not going to drink or party or anything like that," tour lifestyle has a way to, uh, yeah. you know sway people in certain one direction or another. So yeah, there's a difference between just having a buddy and a professional driver, you know, I mean, professional drivers could fuck off too, you know, but, yeah. but it's, that's less of the case, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a wild industry right now, man. And it's like, I do feel bad for a lot of the smaller bands. Um, I see a lot of the bigger bands complaining online too. Cause again, like the veil in the music industry that existed 20 years before and prior is gone because all these artists are so talkative on social media. Like anytime I go on Loudwire's Instagram or Blabbermouth or something, I'm guaranteed to see five different artists from big metal bands that are talking about stuff. Like there's no secrecy anymore. We're back in, back in the early two thousands, there was still mystique to some of these artists where like, you know, they were larger than life and you could only see them in person. And now they're, they're immediately accessible to everybody for the most part. And and no matter what, we sound like old guys talking about that because today's generation <laughs> doesn't know what doesn't know any different. You know, we could talk all day about how cool it was to open up the CD and see the booklet and the artwork yep. and stuff and how that's gone and everything like that. But people today, um, my daughter, she's eleven. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, she just she just got she just got her first CD, a Taylor Swift CD, and, and yeah. you know, I'm just looking through it with her, like, oh, this this is 
this is cool. She had never even experienced anything like that. I'm just like, wow, you know, because that's what it was about back in the day. And yeah. the fact that you had that piece of music and you didn't have access to a million other things if you didn't like it, you still listened to it because it was, you know, something that you spent your money on. Yeah. Uh, and it's all you had at that time or whatever. But it seems like that, you know, it's just the whole music thing is just going in these phases back in, but back before the 2000s, there was all the big record deals and you could do it all that. And then that started going away as time's going on. Social media was creeping in, things were changing and now it's fully taken over in that. And it's just a, a different ball game now. Yeah. But I mean, even, even, so when I was in a band, it was, um, you know, mid two thousands and, you know, we did a lot of national touring, even though we were technically just a local band from Chicago and we were unsigned. We got in a lot of good packages. And I mean, even the change in the last, you know, 16 years from that is like, you know, I remember when we were on tour and it was like the five of us in a van and trailer. And it's like all of our cell phones we had at the time were just flip phones. And right. to get to the shows, we either had, I remember transitioning from MapQuest directions to get to shows to when we got one of those like Garmin GPS or a TomTom was what we yeah. had. Yeah. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. And now every piece of that technology is just on your phone in your pocket. And it's like, yeah. I love hearing stories from some of the, some of the larger tours that I've done when I meet some of the older guys that are in like their sixties and seventies that have been touring their entire lives. Like when, when they tell me about like how it was in the eighties where they're like, yeah, man, you know, we, there were weeks where we didn't call home. And you know, if we did, we just stopped at a truck stop and everybody lined up at the payphone. Like we yeah. didn't have computers and stuff. And it's just, it's fun to think about that old school touring. But like you said, we probably sound like just old dudes now, because even from now, to back in the mid 2000s is just such a large difference. It's insane. Dude, the, the two things that came to mind, um, you know, to piggyback on that about advantages of today, things that you can utilize during touring. I mentioned the Uber thing. The other thing, obviously, GPS. How huge is that? I mean, yeah. Andal, Andal's our drummer. He he was the, um, uh, I, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, I don't know, but the map guy. And, uh, you know, I could picture him at night with a huge Rand McNally, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, Atlas, you know, and like truck stop directory and stuff like that, routing us out how we were going to go. And I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, you know, what, what GPS, you know, take me to this venue. You just, that's all you got to say now, yeah. and, uh, you know, your phone will take you. And then just the other part, the internet and hotspots and stuff like that with the flip flowing. I remember the first time that the technology became available to tether your computer to a, a Nextel phone. Do you remember Nextel? Yeah. The, with yeah, the yeah. You know, and you could barely get enough internet somewhere to like send an email or something. But now, you know, you could just hook on to, to your phone and uh, you know, it's as fast yeah. as anything. It, it, it's crazy. It's, it's, nice funny that, it's funny that you brought up Nextel because recently on my Twitch stream, um, you know, I was telling, I was telling a lot of my viewers, the majority of my viewers are European, which I find kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, I was explaining to them that, you know, I, I, I lined up this podcast with you and there were some people that weren't uh, familiar with Chimera. So we watched your dehumanizing process DVD, which, cool. um, you know, in my opinion, and I've said this many times, I think it's one of the best like behind the scenes music industry tour documentaries ever made. Um, how awesome. raw and open and real you guys were about everything. Like so many artists want to uh, appear larger than life and make it seem like they're ballers and everything's perfect and stuff like that. And the fact that that, that DVD was like so real, you're like, damn, these are the real situations that bands face. But there was a scene where <laughs> you guys were all beeping each other and I paused and I was like, do all you guys know what those are? And a lot of the Europeans were like, no. And I had to explain to them what a Nextel was. And then just thinking about it, I was like, 
man, that was wild back in like 2003, 2004. Like everybody I grew up with had a Nextel and everybody just, you just anywhere you were, you just hear beep, 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 beep. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Walkie talkie, like technology yeah. instead of, uh, you know, having to make the phone call. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's, uh, man. I, um, I forgot that we had that that era. We would have had the Nextels, and that'd be in that in that DVD. I haven't watched that DVD in a long time, but uh, I always and every time it's brought up, I say I got to check that out again, but just yeah. never do, you know. But I, I mean, it's there were a lot of things that from that DVD that stuck with me, like that I remembered from when I was in a band, and like that DVD actually prepped me and a couple of my band members for like situations. Like a good example of that is when, um, um, you know. Andals, your original drummer for Camara, when he when he left the band and I saw the reactions of the band and how everybody took it. And I had the same situation in my band with our drummer. And I was very much how you reacted at first. Like it was it was like it was almost like like losing a brother. And I had a very gut emotional reaction and I was very harsh about it. And, you know, years later, we can get over it and stuff like that. But you know, that kind of stuff happens. And then how yeah. quickly you went through another drummer and then another drummer. And it's like, that's, that's the thing that for me, looking at Chimera as a fan from the outside, you guys have to be one of the most, like you guys face more like trials and tribulation than like a lot of other bands I've ever seen. Like it's insane, dude. Like, I don't know how you guys stayed together for so long just from the pure shit that was just thrown at you guys from every angle, not just touring and members, but like music industry, record stuff like. We it, called it the Chimera curse. There, <laughs> there was a, there was a lot of bad things that happened, but I, I would find it hard to believe that other bands didn't didn't face similar challenges. You know, I mean, maybe 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 we had our own challenges. I don't know. But uh, hey, perseverance, the the will to move on. And, um, you know, like I said earlier, we had a great chemistry, just all kind of being cut from the same cloth. And so we we're able to, to push through most of those things, but in the end we weren't able to weather the storm, mm -hmm. you know, just, I, I hear sometimes like, Oh, I wish you guys could have, you know, if you would have continued, you, you would have been in the ranks with today's Lamb of God or, you know, kill switch and stuff who, who are our peers yep. back in our prime, you know, and, uh, and yeah. Uh, and I happen to say to the guy, we just weren't able to weather that storm that so many bands face, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, how many of your favorite bands have broken up many, exactly. you know, so, or only, how many, how many of those bands have one original person left because it just wasn't working. And I mean, like you said, there are a lot of other bands that face a lot of other challenges as well. I don't, I don't think that was a unique thing to you guys, but I think the fact that you guys were so open about it in some of your DVDs and stuff was one of those things. It was like, I, I think a lot of other bands wouldn't have been that open is what I was trying to say. Like it was wild to get a look at that, like from a, we're, behind the we're, scenes we're, we're fortunate. I'm so grateful that that exists. Obviously we didn't know what it would be at the time. It was just having the cameras around and that we became used to. And uh, the, the director, Todd Bell, was a guy we went to high school with. And so we were just com totally comfortable around him and if he had any of his team around. And um, so he was just became a fly on the wall that you didn't even notice. And so we were just able to be ourselves and candid at, at all times. And again, it comes back to how I feel lucky that people were interested. How many people nowadays turn on the camera every single day and upload the, just their lives that people don't give a shit about? Yeah. You know, so we were fortunate that people enjoyed seeing that and uh in our inspiration for that again not knowing what it would be was uh just the same things from 20 years earlier the vulgar video the yep. metallica documentaries and stuff we just wanted that stuff for ourselves and uh 
We're fortunate that that now we have something like that. And there's actually just the our, did you happen to see our coming alive documentary from the 2009 infection cycle? I didn't watch that one, but I've seen the one before that when you were doing the resurrection. resurrection. Yeah, the resurrection. All that's I I really like that one. And then the coming alive one is I would think to say a really more polished version of the dehumanizing process. Three and a half hours all around the world on tour, plus in the studio and all that. The unfortunate thing is, is that it's just not available anymore. And we don't know why we really don't even have like uh, a, a lane of communication with, with the labels to say, why isn't this available in stores? Why can't we put it on YouTube? Anything like that. So it's, it's just unfortunate because that's really great. At the same time, when you hear polished, that could be a turnoff. If you look at it in the way that you, how you talked about the dehumanizing process that you thought it was so raw and stuff. So, but the coming alive documentary features that, that same thing. We're still the same people and, and, are just as candid in that, but it has a, a much more polished, polished look and stuff. And I'm really proud of that one. And I wish it did exist more. I'm sure. I, I mean, I got friends that are good at finding things on the internet. I'm sure I can get somebody to find that somewhere. <laughs> you know? Maybe. I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I have, I ha obviously I, I have copies and I've tried to upload it, but immediately gets blocked, you know, not, yeah. not just, not just demonetized blocked. Like I, yeah. no one will be able to view it, you know, dude. So. And that's, that's a hard thing with content creation, um, mm -hmm. you know, as well that I'm sure you're uh, um, aware of. And I want to talk to you about that. But really quick, going back to you guys doing those tour documentaries and stuff. What's crazy is that that is a absolute full time thing now. Like when you guys were putting out, you know, DVDs and, and Pantera and Metallica putting out you know, special DVDs. Like I had DVDs from like kill switch and bullet and all like, I loved that stuff. Mm -hmm. Now nine out of 10 tours on the road have a dedicated tour photographer and videographer that is filming all day long and then making like Instagram shorts for like a minute of like a recap of the day. So it's yep. like now it's so common to see just condensed versions of those, you know, or like, you know, every, when I was out on a recent tour, they had uh, a videographer that it's like every three days they did like a three minute long recap of the three shows and behind the scenes and stuff like that. And it's like that has become a permanent job in the music industry now. Yeah, like, it's wild. That's cool. That's cool. And and it shows the the greatness of of what's available, like we were talking about before, that you can do those things now. And that's kind of what I was alluding to that with yeah. with these uh uh, channels, anything is possible to just keep people engaged and informed. Now, at what level people will engage with those is another story. You got because sometimes what part of part of what made our stuff successful is that you got to have personalities like Jim Lamarca and stuff like that, yeah. that can make people make people laugh and you know bonds and stuff that people can can feel and, and things like that. So all that's important too for good filmmaking, obviously. You know, for sure, yeah. And I mean, it's the same with content creation too. Is like. I watched before I even started doing YouTube and Twitch because this was a pandemic thing for me. It's like I've known nothing but touring since I've been 18 years old. And when the pandemic hit, I mean, dude, it, it was the craziest thing. Like we were doing a show. We we're in Vegas. And that morning, like nothing. Nobody had even mentioned anything about COVID or whatever. And then by midday, everybody's on their phones like, yo, you guys hear about this COVID thing? And then that night after we finished the show our tour manager brought us all down with the band and the artist and everything was like, Hey, so we're going home right now. This was like March 13th, 2020. So like, we're going home right now. We're only going to be home for a couple weeks and then we're going to get back out on the road. And then sure enough, you know, you, we all know how that went. Yeah. So, That's... and, and, and then what a lot of people don't realize is that 
in a lot of situations on tour, if you're crew, um, you know, the bands obviously are only making money, you know, when they're touring and, and from other sources too. But when you're a crew member, depending on your situation, you might be only getting paid per show or per week. So when you get sent home for something like that, all of a sudden your revenue is gone. Mm -hmm. So fortunately at that time I was, um, with an artist that was paying us salary but about a month after that, they were like, we're not going to be touring the rest of the year. Like we can't yeah. keep everybody paid. So that's why I started YouTube and all that stuff. And, you know, I didn't know anything about anything. Like when I first started, I started learning about the copyrights and stuff like that. But when I was listening to bigger YouTubers talk about uh, content creation and stuff, there was a guy that said to be successful and in any form of like content, whether it's video or, or, or streaming or whatever, you either have to be one of the best, most knowledgeable people at what you do. So you either need to be one of the best guitarists or musicians, or you need to be the best person at this video game streaming on Twitch. And if you're not, you have to be in the top 1% of, of good, like entertaining personalities. Cause if you don't have either, it, it's not going to work. And that's why yeah. there are millions of people on YouTube and, and Twitch that can't crack, you know, certain numbers and stuff like that, because unfortunately they just don't have it. It's like the same thing as the music industry. It's like, you can look at a band for 10 minutes playing and be like, they, they, if they're unsigned, you can be like, they either have it or they don't right now. You know? Yeah. I think everything you said boils down to being able to provide value Yeah, and value could be a relative term, whether it's value in enjoying music someone's creating you know, and that's how, how an artist can do it, like you said, you know, or um, content that people either learn something from or laugh from or, you know, just just enjoy and want to keep coming back to. And, and so like like you heard that guy say, being the best, that's creating value for people They because people want to learn from the best so that yeah. they can become the best themselves or just get better and stuff. So that's what I think it really boils down to. And you obviously uh, found your niche if you just started this during the pandemic, you know, and uh, it's going well, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, I never, I'll, I'll be honest, I never thought this would turn into a thing. Same here. Um, <laughs> yeah, and like, that's what I was going to ask you. It's like, I love your channel because I'm an absolute gear nerd. That's my thing. Like, I, I'm i a guitar tech, even though I don't play guitar. I'm fucking horrible at it. Um, bass player, so I mean, that works. But um, <laughs> what what made you, and it's not just the guitar stuff. I mean, you've got like, I love your videos where you're you're doing like, you know, riffs and songs you love and, and behind the scenes stuff. Like what, what made you just dive into YouTube as well? There was, there was a moment back in like 2008 or 2009 while I was sitting there changing strings, uh, maybe getting ready for a tour and just had a boat full of guitars. So I was going to be there all day. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, uh, while I'm changing these strings, man, I have so many tips on this, on, on, changing strings or floating bridges or doing electronics and so many stories and stuff. I should turn on a camera and just talk while I'm changing strings and, and call it the string changing series or something where I'm just going to talk. So I thought of that a, a few times over the years, but never really did it, did anything. And then around 2018, I think that's, that's when I decided, all right, I'm, I'm going to try doing YouTube. Cause I started seeing guys like Ola and yep. stuff, you know, that, that were doing that what I was talking about, what I was thinking with, with the strings and, or, you know, showing off guitars and things like that. And I thought, huh, you know, could I do that too? 
I'm, I'm just going to give it a try. And so I just started with a couple videos, like a float, like a, a floating a Floyd Rose tremolo, which is still my most popular video now. I can't even believe how many people every single day are want to know how to float a Floyd Rose bridge. You know, it's like, I, I can't even believe it. Just consistently, it gets the most views every single day out of all my videos. Uh, which And it was just an early one that I made. I'll get my channel started with like a, a float video, a video on how to do intonation and maybe changing strings on a Floyd Rose. And so I just came out and I was lucky because I had somewhat of a little built-in fan base just being a Chimera guy. Yeah. So it wasn't just starting from absolute scratch, but it was really my first time ever doing anything on YouTube. I had actually started my channel back in 2008, but it was it wasn't to create videos. It was to maybe like to comment or yeah, on people's yeah. videos or something like that, you know? So, um, but I, I did those videos and, and, uh, they got a pretty good response. And then, uh, I just started thinking maybe I should just do this more. And, um, simultaneously I had a couple albums like on the back burner that I was just getting near finishing. And I was thinking I, I wasn't going to take the route of trying to get a record deal and touring and just doing it the way that you really have to do it. If you want to be successful with the band and all that, I, I'm like, I just want to create music on my own and put it out there. And if people like it, they like it, but I'm not going to be going and doing shows on it and stuff like that. But I still need a platform for that. So what could I do? Oh, I could start building this YouTube channel and just as a way to make people aware of the music that I'm doing. You know, so, but what do I, what do I got to do for that? Oh, I got to make more maintenance videos. Uh, maybe I'll, you know, do some guitar demo videos. Maybe I'll do some interviews with people. And it just kind of started turning into a thing where not only was it working slowly, slowly, but enough to keep me going all the time, growing enough to keep me going all the time, which still is to this day, very slowly. Uh, but, but enough to keep it, keep me going. Um, but at that point, I, I, th I was thinking, I enjoy this so much that I don't want to do anything else. So at the time, I, w I had uh, my studio down downtown, which um, I closed shop on as soon as the pandemic happened. But I was recording local bands and just doing stuff out of there. And I'm like, I don't really want to do this anymore. I like just being in my own world and creating, creating content here, whether it's music or video. And they just happen to coincide with one another. And I just kind of just started doing it and haven't stopped since. That's, I mean... I totally feel your vibe, what you were just saying about how much you love doing it. Like yeah. there's something so shortly after the pandemic uh, started and I started this YouTube channel, my wife and I found out uh, she was pregnant with our first kid and Congrats. yeah, thank you. And it was about that time where I had been going on, on tour for like, like at the time it was like 14, 15 years, just nonstop, never being home. And when the YouTube thing started, it didn't blow up right away, but it was like, this is fun and I enjoy doing it. And if I can maybe eventually make some money from this and stay at home, that'd be awesome. And by the time my daughter was born, um, touring really wasn't coming back hard yet. It was still early 2021, but the YouTube was doing well enough where I kind of focused it in my head. It was like, this is what I'm going to do when I can't tour. Like I am 100% just going to put all my time into content creation and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it slowly evolved over time. And I think most people on YouTube and Twitch and stuff need to do that. Um, cause things, I mean, you see how fast trends and stuff go online and then people get bored of stuff. Like I first started off my channel doing music reactions and I'll fully admit I did that because they were the popular thing on YouTube. And I was like quick views. That's what it was going to be. But I also wanted to do something different because there's a million people doing music reactions to stuff they haven't heard. 
So when I do reactions, I actually like if I do live performances or music videos, I actually will pause the video and break down like what kind of gear they're using, if I'm familiar with it. And if I'm not familiar with it, I do that pop, uh, like a uh, pop up video style thing where I have like facts about the gear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fun. But I enjoy actually doing like industry stuff now. So like some of my most popular videos I've put out recently are like, uh, you know, what's what's the cost of a tour bus? And I actually took a quote that I got from a bus company and I omitted their name, but I showed it on screen, broke down every little bit. And I was like, so for the fans, keep in mind, like these are all the costs that a band is incurring when they're going on tour. And like, those are the kind of videos I love doing because I love breaking down that, that veil over the music industry, like how people shouldn't know certain things. Mm -hmm. I will say my one thing that I won't do is like, uh, air dirty laundry. I'm not going to name names of tour stories. I might tell a tour story, but I'm going to omit all the information and not tell who was involved because that's not my place. And I think there is keep a level it, of trust. Keep it tasteful. I like yeah. that. Yeah. There's a level of trust too with the artist you're working for. Like you, like you need your artist to know that you're not going to go on YouTube and start telling everybody what's going on in their yeah. personal stuff. Um, but the funny thing is I have gotten pushback from that, from some industry people. I've gotten emails and DMs from artists, label people that are like, you cannot be talking about this. Like, you can't tell people how much or how merch fees work. And I was like, why not? <laughs> let, me, <laughs> like, let, let me say something about that real quick that I've, that I've thought. Okay. Um, that's, that's totally relatable. Because I've thought, I've thought about all that too. Am, am I you know, revealing, pulling back the veil too much and, and revealing some certain, certain things. I also want to know before I say this, what was the, what was the interest level for something like what a tour bus costs? That video has at least over like a quarter million views. Wow. Okay. So yeah. I would have just, if you asked me plainly, what, what, how popular I thought a video like that would be, I would thought, I would think that it'd be extremely niche and the people that are interested would be very interested, but I doubt a lot of people would be interested. So that's great to hear that, that it was like that. But anyways, there's a scene in Goodfellas, familiar with Goodfellas, oh, right? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Casino. Sorry, oh, casino. casino. Okay. All right. So Casino, when Sam Rothstein, Robert De Niro, towards the end, you know, everything, the whole, their whole thing is, is kind of breaking down and he gets into TV. Now he's got the Sam Rothstein show and he's on there and all this. And the guys back in New York or whatever, like, Oh, tell him to be quiet. He can't, he can't be talking about this stuff. He can't be showing his face all the time. Just be quiet. All we want him, all we want him to do is, is bring in the money and stay quiet and be behind the scenes and stuff like that. So I've thought to myself, and I even asked Mark Hunter, singer Camira, this one time, am I being too much of a Sam Rothstein here, you know, just by revealing too many secrets or talking about this stuff too much? But he's like, nah, it's okay. But I've I've thought that, you know, yeah. what, what you're talking about, right? You know, because that veil has been removed. You, you kind of mentioned this early too, that 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 the illusion of, of, of grandeur that a band has and how their untouchableness and, and all that is, is gone now because there's so many views into the lives of, of the entire music industry. Yeah. And it's like, you've got artists that are on, on TikTok and Instagram reels, like posting every two hours about what's going on on tour and stuff like that. We've got bands posting stuff about, you know, merch fees are the huge hot topic right now that everybody loves to complain about. But none of these bands are actually telling people how it works and why they exist. So again, I did another video on merch fees because when I first started, uh, I, I was a merchandise manager for seven years, seven, eight years for like arena and stadium level bands. So I've done more 
settlements and 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 you know accounting balances than I could ever count. Um, and I just did a quick video where I explained uh, why the merch fee exists, why they need to pay it, and the the crazy thing is, while I don't necessarily agree with merch fees in a lot of situations, um, if it's an arena show where the merchandise manager is counting in and then the venue selling everything because they need like five stands. Obviously one person can't do that themselves and you need to pay the people for their work. But if you're walking into a club and the club uh, production managers, just like there's your corner and it's, you know, they don't do anything all night and then walk up and try and take 20%. That sucks. However, 99% of the time it's built into the show contract that the agents are signing for the bands but none of the uh, bands yeah. are tell telling their fans this. Like there are bands that are going off on stage like Alpha Wolf recently. And this is a very public thing. That's why I don't mind dropping their name. Um, they put out their own video where their singer was on stage like uh, telling fans like fuck this promoter and fuck this venue. Like don't buy anything from the bar tonight. Go buy T-shirts from the bands because these scumbags are taking 20 percent from us and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that riles up the fans and that pisses off fans knowing that 20 cents out of every dollar they're spending is going to go to that venue. But then later in that video, their guitar player is like, yeah. So at the end of the night, of course we had to pay it because it was in our contract. And I don't know, in my head, I'm like, you can't get your fans riled up like that. And, and then say it was in our contract. Yeah. You're probably in the corner because live nation and AEG are promoting all these shows and the, they have all the leverage, but at the end of the day, the, the agent signed the deal, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate, but the, the deal, the deal is the deal. Yeah. It, it's certainly a touchy subject and I'm kind of glad it's, it's coming to light right now. I heard you talk, talk a little bit about this on, um, your podcast with, uh, with Finn. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was on his channel or the punk rock NBA. I can't remember, but, yeah. um, but anyways, my feelings on that is, I mean, of course, Kamira had had to bite the nail on that for for many years, and I think it's it's an unfair old clause that needs to be reworked. Obviously, the Alpha Wolf thing—I mean, that was just ignorance, you know—to yeah, proclaim it from the stage like that and and turn the fans on the venue and stuff like that. Because because yeah, it was in their contract or whatever. But here's one way I think to look at it. First of all, I 100% agree. If you're going into arena and they're selling for you and all that kind of stuff, then something like 20% is is reasonable. Yeah, you know. You, they're, they're taking care of it. If you weren't selling your merchandise, you wouldn't have the opportunity to make that money anyways. Um, you know, say, oh, I could set it up outside or whatever. Well, you run risks there too without having a vendor license and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So my solution is there are exceptions on every level and it couldn't always work, but just to think about it logistically like this, what would it cost to rent the venue yourselves? You know, because sometimes you can, you can just rent the house, okay? Mm -hmm. So just as an example, let's say that it's... Um, I don't know, just some small club and it's 2000 bucks if, if anybody wanted to come in there and rent the club that night. All right, well then calculate that uh, per square foot and what area of merchandise are you going to be taking, you know, to sell your merchandise, all right, whatever, that's this many square feet times that dollar amount. All right, we'll give you 500 bucks to be able to sell our merch tonight, not, but yeah. not 20% of our gross sales, you know? Yeah. Well, let's make it worth your while and you let us do our thing without robbing us. You know, that's what I think the compromise is. I think, I think a flat rate would work as long as the venues were realistic because yeah. my problem, my problem I see with, with that, like say, a, say a venue says, you know, flat rate, no percentage, 500 bucks. Well, if the band sells 
$20,000 in merch in that club, the venue is probably going to be like, well, shit, we should have charged a percentage. But if it's one of the opening bands that sells a thousand bucks in merch, that's like a 50% merch fee. Now you'd have to get into, you know, you usually have, you know, four bands on a package or something. You'd figure out splitting that fee and stuff like that. And, you know, one of the other things I've seen a lot of fans say is just go outside like you just brought up. Well, the problem is like people aren't really necessarily thinking that through because like you said, in a lot of cities, you need a vendor permit to do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then you're opening yourself to risks that you don't have in the venue. There's no security outside. Right. Dude, do you, if you're in a band, do you want your merch guy out on a sidewalk by themselves with a pocket full of cash Yeah, and and all your merchandise? (laughs) Yeah. It's like that, that I I wouldn't, if I was still a merch guy, I wouldn't want to do that. Like, of course you want to, you want to be in the venue. And even more obvious, what about if it's not a nice day? If it's raining or snowing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, so. I had a merchandise. I mean, this was an outdoor show, but like I had a, uh, we did an outdoor show at a vineyard in Southern Illinois when I was working for an old classic rock band once. And they had me just set up under a tent. Like I kept pushing all day for the option to go inside like the actual, um, it was, again, it was a vineyard. So it was like, I don't know. It was just a big building. It wasn't necessarily a concourse or anything like that. But I was like, you know, people are coming in through there. That's where they get their drinks. Let me set up in there. And they said, no, we set up everybody under an eight by eight tent outside by the stage. Later that night, uh, halfway through the set, we had a supercell come through that produced a tornado that was a mile away. Mm. And dude, I can't tell you how much merch I lost because I was outside and like there's cash blowing everywhere and I'm trying to grab it. Like those are insane situations that you don't yeah. want to deal with, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then the other thing too, that, that is really bugging me. And that's, I, I, I made a video recently that is very niche. Not a lot of people have watched it, but I made a, a half hour long video where I actually showed how to do a merch settlement on the Excel spreadsheets that I made that I used. I made it downloadable for any band that wants it. Because more oftentimes than not, when I see bands complain on Twitter about merchandise fees and they um, uh, they actually show their settlement sheet to be like, you know, this is what the venue's taken from us. I was like, you did it wrong. <laughs> like there's there are bands that are on tour that if they don't have a merchandise manager and they're doing it themselves, they need to know how to do that. And a yeah. lot of them don't. Like I see settlement sheets and just looking at it, I was like wow, they didn't take tax out of the, the gross total that they paid the fee on. Like they're paying more money than they need to. And then they're complaining about it. And I was like, complaining's fine, but like at least know how to do it. Like if you're in a band that doesn't have a crew, you need to know how to do all of those things. Exactly. I mean, most yeah. band guys just want to play music, get drunk and get girls and and don't have to worry about accounting post-show and stuff like that. But if you don't have... Um, you know, strong and, and proper management and agents and stuff like that that can deal with those things for you, then somebody needs to have the wherewithal to be able to take care of that stuff uh, just to protect your assets if you care about it enough. Yeah. Um, but one more thing about that is that this alpha wolf or any, you know, just as them as an example or, or whatever, where's where's the, the muscle of their management? I read um, a few pages of the Led, Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin's manager's book from uh, way back in the day or whatever, but he was talking about how he'd go in there to these arenas and you know demand a cut of the parking and he'd negotiate all that kind of stuff. So what I'm getting at is, is yes, why, why aren't managers and agents now 
um, not necessarily strong arming, but using powerful negotiations to, to take care of these things beforehand. Hey, this 20% in this area, whatever it is highway robbery or, or, all right, we'll pay this, but we want this as well and stuff like that. And making those deals for these guys. And if they're not, then the band shouldn't be blaming the venues. I think the band should be blaming their management. I think it would change really quick for agents to, cause, cause agents don't necessarily have, um, the incentive to fight for something like that. And this is nothing against booking agents out there. This is just my take and the reality of the situation. Agents are making a percentage of the shows that they're booking. Right. They're not getting a percentage of that merch. Right. But I'll tell you right now, if a band told one of their agents, hey, every time you get us out of a 20% merch fee or something like that, we'll give you like a $250 bonus. I mm-hmm. guarantee you that agent would start fighting to get those fees out right yeah. away. Like, yeah. and that's, you know. You're right, incentive. Yeah. And again, you know, going back to where we are with the music industry now, the bands are kind of in a corner and so are the agents because, you know, I'm friends with a couple agents that have admitted to me. They're like Live Nation runs the U.S. music scene so hard right now that if you try and fight with one of them, you're going to get blacklisted at all of them. And it sucks. (laughs) Like, you know, so. Yeah. I, I have no, Finn asked me, he was like, what's your solution? I was like, I don't have one. I I, I don't, I, cause I think that it, this is way more nuanced than it, 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 it seems there is no quick, easy fix, but mm-hmm. you know, it is still important. Like I've, I've had people ask me, they're like, so should I not buy merch at shows? Should I just get it from the band's website? I was like, I still buy merch at shows because you got to think that that merchandise at the show helps that band while they're on the road. They need that cash to survive on the road. And I always recommend buying merch on the road, you know, to help those bands. But, yep. you know, I, I do also want fans to be be aware of how that works. It's like, just know that if you spend 50 bucks in merch, $10 of that is going to the venue. Yeah. You're not, you're, you're not helping the band by not buying merch. Exactly. You know? So, so even, you know, everybody, the thing about the music industry is, is that no matter what, everybody's taking a piece of the pie. And the band gets the last slice. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's just how, that's just how it is. <laughs> Dude, the unfortunate situation, and I'm sure, I mean, you know more than I do about uh, band income because my band never got to the size that we were making like tons and tons of money. That's why I quit being in a band. I was tired of being broke all the time. Um, I've worked for bands where I know after a tour, I made more money as a crew person because they had to pay me, you know, show pay. Mm-hmm. I, I went home with more money than the, than the band members did because whatever income they made after everybody took their cut, then they got a split between four or five members. And that's super unfortunate. It It is, but it's, it's very tapping to us for sure as well, you know, but I believe too, that it's all part part of the process, you know, crossing, being able to cross that threshold where stuff like that doesn't happen anymore is, is an achievement. Another step, another, you know, level of the mountain and stuff. So, Hey, sometimes, you know, it's, it's the sweat equity that we all have as, as young musicians, um, until we can turn the business into something profitable, if that can even ever happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, before we, I want to talk about the upcoming Chimera shows, but I also want to talk about what you've been up to musically, because in December you put out your album, uh, Magnitude, right? Yep. Dude. Absolutely fantastic, by the way. I hey, love thanks. it. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about that for a minute because um, I'm a huge fan of instrumental music a lot. 
uh, probably one of the reasons I loved like implements of destruction on, yeah. you know, the impossibility, but so with a lot of, uh, with a lot of instrumental music nowadays, with a lot of bands that are hot right now, it's, it's a lot of, uh, what I would call for lack of a better word, like wankery, like it's a lot of crazy, you know, proggy guitar parts and stuff like that. Yep. And what, what I loved about magnitude is that, I mean, it's very you. It does sound like it could be be stuff that you wrote instrumentally for maybe Chimera stuff and stuff like that. And I really enjoy listening to that. Um, but I wanted to know the the process behind that because I, I, I think I saw a video on your YouTube. Did Andals do the drumming on that? He did. Yes. So uh, I wrote um, all those songs <clears throat> right after I, I left Chimera. I knew I wanted to put out an instrumental record. And so I wrote those songs back in probably 2012 and 13 and had, had Andals come in while he was still healthy and record his drum tracks. And then just over the past decade, I just haven't had time to complete the record. And that's, that was also a blessing in disguise because in all that time, while I had opened my studio and was recording bands, I learned a lot about mixing and, and stuff like that, where I think, I don't think magnitude would sound like it does had I put it out back in 2000, let's just call it 14 or something like that okay. when I finally got it done. So, but the, the thing is, is that, you know, to put out a record, it takes a ton of effort uh, and money, depending on how you look at it. Because if you're working on that, you can't be working on something else, some other income producing activity. So that was the thing. I was just too busy to work on it. Uh, so I finally carved out the time to, to get it finished off and, and finishing it off was re-recording my scratch guitar tracks, putting in solos, uh, and then mixing the record and then everything else that comes with putting it out, artwork, distribution, all that type of stuff. Uh, it's, you know, it's a big process. So it's just, just really rewarding to finally get that out there. And it's a collection of just shorter instrumental songs, kind of like implements of destruction. And I think of it as a lot of solo records from guitar players are just that. Lots of soloing, lots mm -hmm. of shreddering, lots of wankery, like you said, um, where I think my, my, my strength is more in songwriting than it is actual soloing. And so that's what I, I'm hoping came across in this record. There's solos, guitar solos on every song, but it's more about the song itself. And, and I, I hope that people find, can keep interest in it because it isn't just shred after shred with no real lure to the, to the riffs and song structuring that, that I hope people find in magnitude. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite tracks on that album is uh, Mercury be just nice. because of the vibe. It's like the first half of that song is that like really vibey build up and then it starts getting heavy. It's like with instrumental stuff, I love the vibe. Like it's the same reason that while I respect the hell out of guitar players like John Petrucci and people that play like his style, mm -hmm. I can't listen to it all the time because for me, I I like the rhythm and the vibe and the songwriting. And it's like, there, there have been times where I've listened to some of these shreddy guitar players was like, dude, I get it. You are a shred God. That's fucking cool. <laughs> but like, give me a yep. little something else. Like, yep. and that's, that's, that's personal taste. Um, that doesn't discredit anything from their talent or their skill or anything. But, um, I thought it was fantastic. And, um, you know, you've answered, I think you've already answered a question for me that I was going to ask, um, you know, going into, um, for anybody that doesn't know, and I believe they're sold out. If they're not, correct me, but uh, um, Chimera is doing the, the 20th anniversary of the release of The Impossibility Reason. Two shows at the Agora in Cleveland on the 12th and 13th, and they, correct, they are sold out already? Yes. 
they 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 sold out uh, pretty quickly, which was great. But just recently, a grip of tickets for each night was released. So I'm oh, not cool. I'm not sure I'm not sure uh, if there's some still available or not. But certainly everybody can just go to Chimera.com, C H I M A I R A. Dot com and and look and there may be some left and those were tickets that we had held for ourselves for guests or whatever yeah. and stuff like that that now that guest lists have been submitted and all that's taken care of because we're uh 10 days out here nine, yeah. 10 days out from the shows so uh, we recently released those um back for sale and whether they're still available or not um i'm not sure so if you're if people that are looking to, to try to get to it act quick yeah, yeah. And this this episode is going to come out before that. So if anybody's listening that wants to, it's in the Cleveland area or wants to go, I mean, I'll have links in the description of this YouTube video where you can check everything too. Cool. Um, but the question I was going to ask, so it's the 20th anniversary and the lineup is the same lineup that was on Impossibility or Reason with the exception of Austin, mm-hmm. who's going to be drumming. And this, I was going to ask nothing against Austin because he's a phenomenal drummer, but why is Andal's not drumming? And I think you've already answered that because you've said a couple times he's having health issues or something. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much the tail end of of his healthy years where was when he recorded those drum tracks for Magnitude back in yeah. in 2013. And since then, uh, his health has just been declining. I can't really say exactly what it is because he hasn't told me. But um, yeah, I yeah. think both he's 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 suffering from a lot of physical, like, like gastro type stuff that's affecting him mentally and has really just ruined his life in a sense. Um, you know, perhaps more than in a sense, that's what, that's what's happened. Um, and we tried in, uh, we did a reunion in 2017, one show here in Cleveland, and we tried to get him for that and we jammed and it just didn't work out. He just wasn't kind of there because metal drumming in a, in a band like Chimera requires a lot of stamina, strength, and just being on top of your game. Um, and, and unfortunately, his, his condition didn't allow him to be there. And so Austin stepped back in, who uh, had taken his place uh, when he left the band, when Andals left the band back in 2011. And uh, Austin has just been, uh, he's a rock. You know, he's the type yeah. of guy you could throw anything at him. He'll be ready like that. And he plays perfectly every night. So he's been Kamira's drummer literally since 2011. Yeah. Um, and he always uh, comes through for us. Yeah. It's, it's such a bummer to hear that. And I know, you know, obviously with personal information, like that, that's, that's his thing and we don't need to, to, to talk about it. But like, even when I was younger, man, I always looked at Andal's drumming and I just, I, I really think in terms of like metal history, like, He's up there with some of the greats, in my opinion. I mean, the guy's skill is unbelievable because nowadays we have we have a lot of great drummers in the metal scene now, especially when you start getting into like deathcore and stuff like that. You see these unreal guys that are just blast beats up the ass and like crazy fast kick patterns, but not to take anything away from any of those guys at all, but um, there's a lot of triggers involved in that and there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of deathcore bands where that's really what it is. It's a guy just going full force the whole time where the thing that I love about drummers like Andals is that not only can he play those wild grooves, but he, he has that rhythm and groove. Like I love to feel that. I mean, that's some of my favorite things about the older Chimera stuff is like the groove. You can't not bang your head and feel that. And it's like, that's, that's the kind of metal that I grew up with and that I love. And totally. You know, Same here. Yeah. But, uh, but man, I'm excited for, for you guys. Cause like, I mean, your last show, I know you were planning a Chimera Christmas for 2020, but obviously, you know, COVID. Yeah. Um, 
so this is essentially the the first show you guys are doing together in six years. Yeah, the last one was uh, seventeen December thirtieth, two thousand seventeen. Wow. So uh, five and a half years. Wait, December two thousand. Yeah, five and a yeah, half five years. Yeah, five and a half years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so again, yeah, we 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 were primed. You know, the the show was booked. Actually, we hadn't announced it yet back in twenty twenty. Um, but, um, you know, then ended up having to get canceled and Kamira's beast is that of which it takes a lot to get it going. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's heavy, you know, and it's a lot to pick up and stuff. So after that got shut down because of the pandemic, again, it's taken years and a lot to bring it back, but here we are, like I said, nine, 10 days out and we're ready to go. Yeah. And I know you, you had some videos on your channel too, of you guys all getting together for rehearsals and stuff like that. Like, honestly, how does it feel? Like, how, how does it feel just getting in a room with everybody? I assume you're friends with most of the guys anyways. Oh, everybody's super cool, yeah. yeah. And and it feels great to to play music. That We did the first round of rehearsals um, last month. We did um, like three, four days of that to just kind of knock the rust off. And then starting now in two days on Friday, Cinco de Mayo, we're, um, we're practicing every day up until the shows. Everybody comes into town tomorrow. Um, and then... Um, we're gonna be doing that. It just it's it's great, and everybody we all we all said this same thing that it just felt great to play music uh, together again. Some of the guys over the years haven't been doing music. Some of the guys like like myself, I'm still playing guitar every day, you know, for for videos and stuff like that. So my chops are there still, all that that I'm I'm, I'm lucky to have, but I still haven't jammed with guys, and that's that's uh, a feeling that that us guys, you know long for yeah. and loved. And there was the, the magic in that as, as kids, when you first start playing 12, 13 years old or whatever with other guys in a room and feeling amps and drums and playing fade to black or something like that, there's a magic to that yeah. that's just indescribable that none of us had felt since 2017. And we were rehearsing doing that show until again, until last month when we just got to play the songs together. So even if there wasn't even a show happening or whatever, which is just kind of icing on the cake that we got a couple you know, shows that we know are going to be successful coming up here. Just being able to jam and play the songs again has, has been wonderful. That's awesome, man. Like, I, I just, I totally relate to what you're saying. Like, cause we, my, my band did a reunion show in 2017 as well, I think actually, uh, for yeah. our, our 10 year anniversary of like our album coming out and, it's funny. You never know what to expect. And on that, it's, it's funny because I was a bass player in my band. And while we, while I was driving to the show, uh, cause I was driving from Nashville to Chicago day of the show, um, all of our band members live all over the country now. And while I was driving up there, our drummer texted all of us and was like, Hey, um, I have some horrible news. I'm in the hospital right now and I am not going to be able to do the show tonight. Ugh. And we're like, what do we do? We got to play like we, you know, what do we do here? And, uh, I kind of mentioned to the guys. Um, you called like, Kevin Talley. No. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how that would have worked out, but uh, <laughs> All right, sorry to interrupt. Go on. No, no, that was amazing. Like, I mean, great, great reference. Um, no, I just mentioned to the guys, uh, why don't one of our, why doesn't our rhythm guitar player play my bass and I'll play drums. Nice. And the funny thing is, is that those guys didn't know that I could really play drums because after I quit my band and moved, like I get a drum kit and I, I play all the time and they're like, no, like, you don't play drums. And I was like, I do though. Like, I know you guys have never seen me play. So they're like, 
All right, so we get to the venue, we set up for sound check, and I asked the opening band, who's another local band we knew, I was like, can I can I like pay you to like rent your drum kit for the night? And like if I break any cymbals, I'll replace them or whatever. And he goes, Dad, don't worry about it, dude. Like just go for it. So I actually had my mom. My mom was coming to the show because she lived nearby. She went to a guitar center and bought me a brick of sticks and a rhythm watch for so I can play, you know, to a click. And uh, we did our sound check, and it was so funny. After we ripped the first song, like my, our guitar player and our singer were just like, "Oh shit, we could do this." Nice. So we we played our reunion show with without one of our guitarists who was playing my bass, and I ended up playing drums, which was the first time I had ever played drums on stage, and it was fucking great. And I was like, "Damn, I should have been a drummer!" Like, yeah, this is a blast. Just <laughs> get to kick it back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I like, feel you. I but love those, drums too. Those situations are, are 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 funny because it's like you never know what's going to get thrown at you in the music industry. Mm-hmm. It, like especially when you're on tour, it's like nowadays. And tracks existed 20 years ago, but nowadays we see situations where it's like if somebody has a family emergency, like a guitar player has to go home, it's like, okay, we'll just throw the tracks in there and fucking whatever, you know. Still would have been difficult to try to put together in, with less than a day's notice to try to True. put tracks together for your set and make it all work right, you know. True. <laughs> Takes um, a lot of know-how to do that, you know. A lot of a lot of bands I've worked for in the last 10 years with Pro Tool rigs, they, they already have all those stems ready. Right, Just of course, like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's crazy. Like, we've had situations where I've done shows where it's like, and, I mean, not to mention the fact that there are so many bands nowadays that don't have a bass player, that just, a guitar player does all the bass tracking in the studio, and then they just track it live. I mean, hmm. with all the reactions I'm doing and discovering music on YouTube, it's more and more common. It, it's some, it's like one out of every three bands I check out doesn't have a bass player. Weird. It's it's crazy. Um, Powerwolf, a German power metal band. I don't know if you're familiar Heard them. Um, I, they, they don't have a bass player, but they do. It's really weird. Their rhythm guitar player is a bass player and he plays bass in the studio for all their albums. But when they play live, they track all the bass and he plays rhythm guitar instead. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that's such a wild thing. I was like, why don't you just add a rhythm guitar player or add a different bass player? And it's because they're like, we've had the same members for 15 years. The vibe and the chemistry is good, and we're not going to risk fucking that up. And I was like, yeah. all right. I mean. If, if tickets are still selling, hey, why mess it up, right? Or, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, fuck. It's crazy. Like, the, the the disconnect between the European music scene and the U.S. music scene is so wild to me because there are bands that sell out arenas in Europe regularly. Like, no problem. Like, fifteen to 20,000 people. And then they come to the States and they play thousand cap clubs. Yeah. And there is kind of a, a a flip situation to that with the U.S. Like, I think there's nothing against them. Like, I love the band, but like, I think Machine Head is like way bigger in Europe than they are in the U.S. nowadays. Like, it, it's wild. It's I think it's always been that way, especially especially around England. I mean, I would say Machine Head's bigger than ever right now in the U.S. Yeah. Than, 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 than they've been, or or at least they were. I think they were the last show I saw before the pandemic, and um, it was a big sold out theater. Uh, and but but yeah, coming up. I mean, they were always doing huge shows over in England and stuff. So I don't know if that's equaled out or not. But yeah, I I, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, you yeah, know? it's crazy. I mean. I actually met Rob recently, which was wild. He was randomly backstage at a show I was just on uh, when we were in San Francisco. And I heard his voice because he's got a very recognizable voice. I was in Guitar World working on guitars and I was like, kind of like peeked around the corner and I was like, oh shit. 
<laughs> and you know, he, he like you guys, he was machine has is another band that I grew up on and, and love. And before our show during changeover, he just happened to walk over to my guitar world and said hi and was talking to me about all the gear we were using. And it was funny because I was like, he was asking about all of our different gear. And what was so funny to me is uh, he goes, where are the amps? And I was like, oh, these guys just play Kempers. He's like, so there's no amps on stage? I was like, no. And he goes, well, how do they change all their effects in the pedal board? And I was like, we program it in MIDI. And he's yeah. like, so everything just changes by itself? And I was like, surely you know this. <laughs> I'm like, like sure, surely you're you're up to speed with this, right? Like, yeah, that's, I mean, bands have yeah, been I doing would, this for a while. I would think he'd be aware of that. And I mean, I have mixed mixed opinions on that. I mean, there's obviously the beauty in in that convenience, the uh, the peace of mind of, you know, as long as the rig doesn't go down, not worrying about messing up. But at the same time, and here's the old guy again, what would what would Dimebag say to that? You know, I mean, yeah. fuck that, fuck that shit. That's what Dude, Dimebag would say. You know, <laughs> I will say. I mean, you strike me as an abs. I mean, we see heads in the back. You strike me as an absolute analog tube head for life. Like, yeah, you're ripping full cabs on stage. I assume. Yeah. Um, I was so dead set against digital. Like, th- all my knowledge is it, it was with tube amps and the pedal boards and stuff. So with the artists I was working for, when they told me they were going to switch, they're like, next year we're using Axe Effects for everything. And we're going to program all the guitar changes, all the pedal board changes, everything so that the guitar players can move around. They don't need to be by their boards. Because I was, I was working for a country band at the time. And there was times where because they had a huge set and they're moving around, I'd have to crawl out on stage and like hit effects pedals for them because they couldn't be there because they were like up on a set or something. So when we, when they told me we were switching to digital, my, my first gut in initial reaction was fuck that. Like, I don't want to, I like, I, I one I think I was kind of scared about learning something completely new that I had no, no knowledge about at all. But also there was a part of my brain that was like, it's gonna, it takes away from the feel and the show and it's just not, fucking live anymore and i realize now that that's kind of it's kind of stupid to say that because it's still live it's just it is digital yeah but but i will say when we switched as an as a guitar tech it made my life a hundred fucking times easier i will say that (laughs) I, I, i believe it and and for the record i have absolutely nothing against uh the digital world i i'm i'm interested i love i love all the technology that exists and stuff like that but the bottom line for me and this is just totally me personally is that i have never once seen a live band that was running all digital stuff and said whoa that guitar tone is sick there's they, the guitars sound good and they all work within the mix and all that, but nothing has shredded my face off. Like if you went and saw Angus Young or Slash or something like that, where their guitars are screaming through. And and perhaps I'm being presumptuous, thinking that even nowadays a guitar like a guitarist like Slash isn't utilizing the new technology. But you want to believe that yeah, he's yeah. playing through Marshall stacks and stuff, you know. So, but that's what the difference for me is. I've never heard a guitar tone scream through the PA with a, a fully like electronic you know, or d- digital rig and stuff. Again, nothing against them. But yeah, that's- yeah. Well, I, I will say just from my experience with them in the last 10 years, um, it's changed a ton because when you went from like something like the Axe FX2, that when the three came out, the processing power on it jumped up by like eight times. 
there's a noticeable difference in the tones. Like 10 years ago, I would be able to listen to something and tell you like what amp it was or if it was digital, you could hear a clear difference. It's getting harder now because the, the processing power is there now, which, you know, I find cool, but I totally get what you're saying. Like I, there's something also about once you go to digital, first of all, you could plug it into an amplifier and have an amplifier in the room with you or on stage or whatever, but most people don't, they run it through their in-ears and that, that, that room and stage noise is just gone. Like there's something I love about like, like when we used to jam with our band, it's like everybody's amps just set up in the room, just blaring at each other, you know, um, there's, there's something cool about that. And, uh, you know, all the people I've worked with on the road that have used digital have never had cabs on stage. And I will say it makes for a nice quiet stage when you're working. Um, but yeah, there's, there's something just different about it. I don't dislike it, but there's something different about it for sure. Um, Glenn Flicker, you know, Glenn, uh, Fricker, Flicker, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spectra Sound Studios. He said something, one of the first videos I ever saw of his way back in the day, he was talking about plugins rather than, you know, miking an amp for, for recording process or whatever, but you can relate it to the same thing. I, I can relate it to live. And and it's improved vastly since then. And I, I, I use digital plugins all the time, uh, you know, primarily, I, I'd say. 99% of the time nowadays. So I, I'm not talking shit on him or anything. I love him and everything. But one thing he said that stuck with me that I totally agreed with is that he said that a digital sound is canned compared to the real thing. There's a can of tuna, which I love. And then there's fresh tuna, you know, seared and presented in a nice restaurant and stuff like that. And that difference, it's the same thing. It's tuna and stuff and you can eat them both. I'll eat them both. But that's how, that's how I feel about it, that it's it's slightly more of a canned sound than, than the real pureness. It's it, actually you know? a, a good analogy. Yeah. I actually, I actually really enjoy that. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, dude, we've, uh, we've been on here for a little over an hour now and um, you know, I want to wrap this up and let you get back to your day and stuff like that. But just as a reminder to people that are listening, um, if you are interested in going to see Chimera at the Agora on the 12th and 13th, there may still be tickets available. You can go to chimera.com uh, or check the links in this YouTube video. Uh, Rob, before I let you go, one thing I always like to ask people on here, just cause it's straight from your mouth. Um, for people that are interested in supporting your music that you're doing now and stuff like that, what are the, what are the best things that you would recommend they could do to support you, whether it's financial or not? Well, um, first robarnoldworld.com, uh, has links to everything I've got going on. I've got, a, a an awesome Patreon community. Um, you know, that comes with perks like seeing videos earlier, ton of guitar tabs and stuff, but it's got an awesome community vibe. Everybody in there, you know, I just have a, you know, anybody that reaches out to me in there, I have a, you know, what I consider to be a personal relationship with conversations, any question they have or anything they want to talk about and stuff. So it's just a good tight knit kind of community vibe. And that also, you know, helps me with my living. So, um, so that's, that's something I got going on there, but uh, with all the socials and my YouTube and everything like that, everybody can find me just at Rob Arnold world for everything, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. And it all just kind of leads back to my YouTube or my website, I've got a store uh, as well on my website with guitar DVD, you know, links to music magnitude or my elite project. You can learn more about Chimera, all that kind of stuff. So just Rob Arnold world, no matter what type it in, you'll find all my stuff. Sick. Well, I appreciate it, man. This was, this was super awesome. Just sit and talk with you, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Hey, cheers. And I appreciate you having me. It's been fun. And uh, again, congratulations on your success and thank you all that's to come. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're not stopping here. 
No, but I mean, I'm getting back on tour too. And if, if I ever roll through the Cleveland area or something, I'll, I'll hit you out, uh, up. Cause I'd love to have you out at a show. If you want to hang, if it's something that interests you, that'd be super cool too. Cool. Cool. Who, who are you allowed to say who you're going out with or? Yeah. This summer I'm tour managing uh electric cowboy, another German band. Electric cowboy. Um, One cowboy. last thing. Have you ever heard of, I'm sure you have now. I'm just brand new to it. Have you ever heard of the master tour app? Oh yeah. 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 Dude, that's oh, how I use it. We just started using it. Yeah, man, is that great? That's another thing we're like, dude, if we had this back in the day, oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh, it's just oh. a great organizational thing to keep everybody just right in your phone, you know, from, oh, you know, where fantastic. the hotels are, to, uh, who's on the guest list, uh, all that, you know, I recommend it. Yeah, yeah, dude, it's, it's the best. Like that's what I think for about 10 years now, every tour I've been on has been using that for. It's everything. been around that long. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I just became, became aware of it last week. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's sick. We went from the old days where like the old school tour managers would actually make you physical tour books ahead of time. And now it's yeah. just, everything's in your phone. It's great. Everybody had the, every tour manager had the little, I don't know if remember what it was, the Canon or something, the IP 90, that little printer, you know, that yeah, worked half the now time. It's, or, now it's up yeah. to the 210. I've got one yeah. right here. <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, times are changing for the better. We'll, we'll oh, yeah. that. Nice. Well, I appreciate you again, man. Thank you very much for uh, joining us on here and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks, Tank. What a guy, man. That was so fun to just sit down and pick his brain and talk to him about all that stuff. And one more time before we wrap this one up, I just want to send a very special thank you out to Rob for taking the time to do this because like we brought up, man, you know, a lot of times in the music industry, you got to get managers and PR people involved and stuff like that. And Rob was cool enough that all I did was send him an email and ask him if he'd be interested in doing this. And he did it. It's just super, super, super cool, man. So... You know, one more time as a reminder, um, if you are in the Cleveland area and you would like to check it out, Chimera are doing those 20 year anniversary shows for the impossibility of reason on May 12th and 13th. They are officially sold out, but there might be resales available. You can go to Chimera.com to check out information for that. And don't forget to check out all of Rob's stuff, man. RobArnoldWorld.com. And you can also check him out on YouTube under the same name. Fantastic, cool gear videos and tutorials and stuff kind of behind the music type stuff. I'd highly suggest checking that out. And also don't to, don't to forget, don't forget to check out his solo album that he put out in December of last year. It's called Magnitude. It's about 40 minutes of just instrumental music that he came up with. And it's fantastic, dude. I love it. I've been listening to it a ton and, uh, yeah, you know, give him a support, go check it out on Spotify. It's awesome. But thank you to everybody that took the time to listen to this one, because I know that there are millions of podcasts out there and it's honestly hard to do this stuff because we never know how it's going to go. So just so you guys know, I appreciate every single one of you for taking the time to listen. And we've still got stuff we're lining up for the future, man. I know I've had a lot of stuff going on at home and I'm prepping for a tour this summer. So these episodes have come a little slower lately, but I'm starting to get a lot more stuff scheduled. We're going to get going harder on these. And um, if you would like to support the content in any way, I got a lot of different ways that you can do so. I mean, you can join us on Twitch when we stream and subscribe there. You can just watch videos on YouTube. And I also do have... Patreon, and you can visit at patreon.com slash tank the tech. There are a couple different tiers that you can subscribe to. A lot of it gets actually both tiers get you my podcast and my videos at least a couple days early from when they actually release. If you want to see stuff early, we also have other perks too, where you can get into our private discord channel. That's just patrons and you know, we can talk and chat there and stuff, but that's a great way to help out this content specifically if you would like to, but just know that it's not expected, man. I just appreciate all of you taking the time to watch this. 
But until next time, that's going to do it for me on the Back Lounge Podcast. Thank you so very much. Wherever you are in the world, be safe, be kind to each other. I love you all, and I will be back very soon with another episode of the podcast.